start a new series today called Toxic, and we'll throw that up there. I think it's very relevant uh, in our time here right now and in the season that we're in. I told you I try to match our series and our seasons at the church in seasons that we're going through. And so I want to start and talk about for the next three weeks this subject toxic because as we come out of the summer and usually when we go into the summer actually there's there's a lot of different times throughout the year that this happens but we go into a different season and a lot of times we become very bodily conscious we become very physically conscious i don't know if you're like me but back in college it used to be like spring and summer was coming and so you had to get in shape like you didn't do anything the rest of the year but now that all your winter clothes were coming off you had to get yourself in shape because you weren't in shape you were a shape come on somebody you were Right. You were just so it was a time to get into shape. It was a time to really start focusing uh, on your physical body. And so we would try that. And so I don't know about you, but back in March, when they announced that you were going to have to cook your own food for the next few months uh, and that you were going to be stuck inside for who knows how long back when they announced that. I think everybody ran out and grabbed every snack and food that you would ever want to eat for the rest of your life. Come on, we all bought everything that we thought. And the problem was we ate it all in the first week. Like you just, you just went through all your provisions that you had stored up for yourself, all your candy, all your chocolate, everything that you had thought was going to last you for months. You ate in that first couple of days. Come on. And so we all went, look, I, myself, I love barbecue, all right? I love brisket. I love anything barbecued. And so when I heard that I wasn't going to be able to eat out at restaurants, I went to my favorite barbecue place and they had these boiler bags that you could freeze fully cooked and you just had to boil it and you had ribs and brisket and I bought an embarrassing amount of barbecue all right everybody and I stocked my freezer I stocked my parents freezer I stocked I stocked every freezer at the church I could find and I ate it all in the first week come on so I like I was having brisket for breakfast by day four I was just it was a bad time all right And so for a lot of us, we go through those things. For a lot of us, the quarantine 15 was just the start. And a lot of us, we we came through this season on a whole lot of unhealthy things. And so now as we're beginning, you're beginning to maybe start to work out again or begin to do. We're starting to try to purge and detox our body from all the things that we put into it. And some of you are a little more conscious than others. Some of you are tracking the macros and some of you are tracking the, the things. Some of you stretch before you run. Some of you don't have to stretch before you run. Come on. Some of you are just getting back into it. When you're 18, 19, you can just work out whenever you want to. You can just go do it. Now I have to stretch for a week before I'm thinking about like I'm going to. My wife was laughing at me last week. I woke up in the morning. I stretched and I couldn't turn my head for two days. Like I just. Uh, it's a whole nother world, but we're starting to detox ourselves, starting to focus back on our, our physical bodies. And we're starting to get out all those things that they tell us are bad for us now. And that'll change in 10 years. I don't know. It'll be a new, new set of things that we're not allowed to eat or not allowed to do. But it's just this, this thing that we go through And this. I want you to know that our spiritual life is the same, that a lot of times we'll go through seasons. Oftentimes it is the summer. A lot of times it's holidays or different times where we let things get a little bit lax. We let things go a little bit. Uh, We let things get a little bit out of shape. And so there's times, parts of the year where we just need to reset. We just need to get our focus back right. And I believe that honestly, during these 21 days of prayer, we do it twice a year as a church. This is a great time to refocus. This is an incredible time to rediscipline. Uh, It's an incredible time just to get your focus back because we're doing it as a church. And so all of us have let our prayer lives slide a little bit. All of us have let some things go that maybe God wants us to get back into our life. And so this is a chance as a church to reset. This is a chance as a church to get our eyes back on what we need to get them on. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 is our theme verse. As we begin to detox, as we focus on these different areas that might be toxic to us. And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. 
And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. A living soul. Now, theologically, we believe that the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. We believe the soul is the center of our humanity. The soul is the place where everything that you think, everything that you feel, and your emotions, everything you desire, all these things are wrapped up inside. And because the soul is our center, it's the place most under attack. It's the place that we often get attacked in our thought lives, in our desires. We get attacked uh, in our emotions and what we feel. We come attacked, and the devil will bring little things, little toxins that he tries to introduce into different areas of our life that grow into big things. Little toxins that grow into big problems that come into our lives. And so we, for many of us, we've been embracing those could be in our thought life. It could be thoughts that we're embracing that are toxic to us. It could be uh, in our desires and in the things that we are pursuing in our life. It could be in our emotions and the way we react to others and the way we react to things that happen in our world or in our lives. Uh, those things could be out of line. And so I want to talk for the next three weeks over these three topics, over getting them back in line, over how we can see the toxic areas and remove them. I want to go from God's word and start in this area of our mind this morning because we at Victory believe that everything begins with a thought. Every action, every desire, everything begins with a thought. In fact, it's what scripture says in Proverbs. It says, be careful what you think. So be careful about your mindset. Be careful where you let your mind wander. Be careful of those things because your thoughts, that pattern of thinking, those things that you're thinking, they run your life. So be careful of the things that you allow yourself to think. Be careful of the thoughts that you're entertaining because they run your life. Don't be undisciplined. Now, I want to show it to you that this is true because right now it's about 1045-ish, almost 11 o'clock and a beautiful Sunday morning. It might get ugly later, but today it's beautiful, right? This morning it's beautiful. And most of you are dialed in. Most of you are listening. But if I say the words Chick-fil-A, how many of you have checked out already from the rest of the service? How many are you already gone? You don't hear anything I'm saying. We got some right. If I say those words, you start to desire something, right? It starts to place this thought that I put into your mind starts to cause a desire. Now, the more astute among you will know that Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. And so now there's a little bit of anger that's attached to that desire, right? That is in your minds that I've introduced. And so the thought created that some of you are going to stop by anyways. Like maybe this is the first Sunday that they're open. Like I'm going to, some of you are going right in your mind. You're already there. But it's the thought that created the desire, and oftentimes it'll create an action. Come on, we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll keep on food. I haven't talked about Taco Bell in a while. Some of you don't know this, but I have a love-hate relationship with Taco Bell. I, I don't know. There's seasons of my life where it is all I want to eat, and there are seasons of my life where I don't even want to see the logo. Like, don't even, don't even talk about it to me. But there are seasons where that is all that I want. Come on, somebody. Crunchy, cheesy, melty. Nobody beefy. Come on. So I don't want a bunch of unsaved people this morning. I don't know about you, but it is all I want. There are times where it's late at night and I'm craving something. Right. And I'm thinking I'm hungry. There's only one place that you can go. I'm going to the border. Come on, somebody. I'm going. I, I begin to think I need my sodium intake for the next four months right now. I just need it. And I know that it's the same ingredient cooked a hundred different ways. I know that it's <laughs> I get that. It's the slop all thrown together and cooked. But it's just something inside of me that wants that. And so when that desire is created, like I'm not sitting there thinking I want that gordita crunch. And I think, well, you know what I need? I need an apple right now. That's what I need. Like I'm going to eat something. No, I'm, I don't need anything healthy and I'm not going to bed hungry. Where am I going, everybody? I'm going to the border. I'm getting myself some Taco Bell. Because the desire, the thought created the desire. And then it created some unhealthy actions in my life that I've taken one too many times. 
And so the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. When we start to entertain thoughts, we start to entertain thoughts, it creates desires inside of us, and then it leads to unhealthy actions. But the flip side of that is true as well. When we start to entertain thoughts, or we start to meditate on God's word, it also starts to create a desire in us. The Bible tells us to meditate on his word, to be still before God. When we do that, it then creates desires in us. And then we desire to read his word. We desire to be in his presence, to experience his power. You start turning on the worship music when you get into the car. You start, start having that thing in the background of your life, just constant through there. And you start to desire and it produces action inside of you. A lot of people try to skip to that. They say, well, why can't I just act right? Why can't I just do it? It begins with a thought. When we get our thought life right, it creates those desires and that action. Well, the devil knows the principle is true as well. And so anytime he's trying to destroy our life, which is always, he'll do it with a thought. He'll always start the attack with a thought that you're not able to deal with your situation or, or you're not able, you're not going to be rescued this time by God or you're not able to do this or you're never going to be good enough. He begins to place these thoughts in our life. And we start, if we let them stay, we start to create desires and then it be, creates unhealthy actions. And we start to say, well, you know, I, I, I might, maybe I should go back to my old life because it was so much fun and I'm kind of missing out on something. And you entertain that thought and you say, well, I know that relationship's not good for me, but we had such good times. And, you know, maybe, and you start to desire and you say, well, I know I'm not supposed to touch those vices or that drugs or whatever it is. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but... I'm thinking about it and I'm remembering and now I'm creating the desire. And we start to do it. And before we realize it, it produces the action. Before we even realize it. And once you get to the action and you're stuck in that, you don't even realize where it came from. And doing all you can to put out fires instead of realizing the source of where that thought came from. So we got to get our perspective right. Here's the, the, I guess, the point for you if you want to jot it down if you're taking notes. Uh, and that is that the root of all of our sin outwardly, the things that we're embracing outwardly, the root of that is oftentimes false beliefs we're embracing inwardly. The root of the things that you're seeing the effects of are because of a thought that you embraced inwardly. So we have to refocus ourselves, get our perspective through the lens of God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to hang out here for a while. I want to show something to you because oftentimes when this idea is thought about, people start in verse 3 of this chapter. But I want to show you something I read this week that I think is interesting. Paul starts the chapter by saying, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Now time out there because most of Second Corinthians, Paul is talking from the, Paul is talking from the place of his ministry team. And so he's talking in the words of we and are and us, and he's writing to the church as the ministry team addressing different things. But in this chapter, he changes his tone because Paul begins to address a personal attack that came against him. And so I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll explain it. So verse 1, he says, By humility and gentleness of Christ, that'll be funny to you in a moment, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, in parentheses, I'll explain that, when face to face with you, but bold towards you went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Now, Paul is addressing a very specific issue that you see throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. Because there were these group of people around this time in Corinth and in a lot of other cities that Paul had gone through called the Judaizers. And you may have heard about the Judaizers, but they caused a lot of grief for Paul in his earthly ministry. And so what would happen is Paul would go into this new city and he would start a church. He would get people saved. He would preach the gospel and he would raise up leaders from people who had never heard about God. And he would teach them and train them in the word and tell them about Jesus and his teachings and what they needed to do. And he would raise up this church, all these young leaders, and then he would turn it over to them and he'd move on to the next city and plant another church. 
So you can imagine some of these leaders are still a little bit impressionable. Uh, They're still a little bit young in their faith. And so as soon as Paul would leave, this group of Judaizers would come in. And these were a group who believed in salvation of Jesus Christ, but they also tried to add in separate Hebrew traditions and customs to salvation. And so they would come in after Paul had left and they would say, you know what? We love Paul and we appreciate Paul and Paul is great, but he's not telling you the whole truth. And Paul didn't really preach you all the real things. And Jesus is great and the teachings are great. But if you really want to be holy, then you got to be circumcised. Come on, that's a great church growth principle right there, everybody. And if you really want to be holy, then you got to only worship on a certain day and in a certain place. And, and you got to follow all these customs and these things that we will now tell you about. Because we know everything, right? And we can tell you all the things to be a good Christian. And then they accused Paul of not being a godly Christian. That he was living by the standards of the world. Now, Paul elsewhere in his writings told us that I, as one to those who are not under the law, I live as not one not under the law, so I can reach as many as I possibly can for the gospel of Christ. Well, they tried to twist that and say that Paul wasn't living a Christian life, that Paul was living by the worldly standards, that he wasn't spiritual. So in the context of that, we arrive at verse 3. In the context of what Paul is addressing, now we arrive. And so Paul teaches us how to do spiritual warfare because of this attack that he's under. He begins to teach us how to spiritually war because of the attack. And I think it's kind of funny. We go back to verse 1 just really quickly. Because he says, by humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Paul, who am timid, because they're saying that I'm timid, right? I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying to be gentle. But don't maybe come smack y'all, all right? That's what Paul is saying in this chapter. He said, I'm trying to be, Lord, help me. Don't make me come and smack you around. And church in Corinth, don't get in the way of this. Because there's some people that I'm about to come address. There's some people who are saying some things, and I've tried to be gentle, and I've tried to be calm with you people, but if I show up, it's going to be war. Because what they're saying is the Apostle Paul is great, but he's, he's timid. He's bold in his letters. So what they're saying is Apostle Paul, is, he's a tough guy in his letters, right? He writes all these big words and all these things, but when he comes, he's not even going to address it. Like, he's not even going to confront it, because he's just a big guy in what he says in his letters, but... In real life, he's just timid. That's what they're saying about Paul, that he's just this passive aggressive. You ever met somebody like that? That They're on social media blasting everybody and then like saying all these rotten things to you. And then you see them in real life and they're like, oh, I love you. And I'm so, and you know, they hate your guts because of what they said right back on the, maybe none of you know somebody like that. Maybe only I know people like that, but passive aggressive, that's what they're accusing Paul of. That in social media, in his letters, he's this big tough guy, but when he comes, he's just going to be timid. And so Paul says, look, I'm trying not to do this to you. I'm trying to be kind and gentle as the Lord would have me to be. But if I show up, I'm going to confront this thing. And he starts to talk about how we fight this war. He says, don't be getting in the middle of this church in Corinth because it's between me and the Judaizers. And these are fighting words. These are we're about to go to war over this. And so watch how Paul teaches this. He says, I'm going to be aggressive towards them. So in verse three, he says, we're going to go to war for though we live in the world, We don't wage war as the world does. He said, I'm going to attack this, this attack they have on me, this subversion of the gospel that they're trying to give to you. I'm going to attack this. I'm going to address it. They're accusing me of this. And he says, we're going to war. Now, I love the fact that Paul says, now you're trying to bust up my ministry. So it's war. It's on. But it's not with a knife. It's not with a gun. It's not with my fist. Watch this. He says, on the contrary, the war, the weapons that we're going to use, they have divine power To demolish strongholds. That stronghold of the Judaizers that are trying to bring in. That subversion of the gospel. The war we're about to go to. I'm going to confront that. And so Paul is teaching us. When we have confrontations. When we have things that we need to go to war for in the spirit. Paul is teaching us how it happened. This passage is the best passage we have on spiritual warfare. 
that he teaches us how we can do that. And so he says we war against the enemy to be the people God has called. We demolish arguments. We've got weapons and not of this world. And we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so he's saying that we're, we're taking captive. We're, we're basically destroying, demolishing strongholds in verse 3. That we're beginning this war. And so you say, well, what is a stronghold? A stronghold, watch this in the Greek, is a prisoner locked by deception. Now, Paul is very specific in the words that he uses in his letters and the words that he uses when he writes and when he, when he begins to preach the gospel. He's saying it's a stronghold, a prisoner locked by deception. That we have a stronghold in our life. It's not that we're physically locked up because that's not the fight that we're called to fight. The fight that he's calling us to, the thing that he says that we're warring against is a deception that people are living under a lie. There are so many people who are living their lives under a lie, and the gospel is to bring the truth and the freedom of Jesus Christ to them. And so we're called to war in the spirit, and so many people are prisoners, so we're called to demolish them. And you say, well, what are the strongholds? He tells us in verse 4. He says that in verse 4, he says that the strongholds are arguments and pretensions that set themselves against the knowledge of God. The arguments and pretensions that set themselves. So think about it for a moment as you remember your life before Christ. Or you think about your loved ones or your family members or the neighbors or the co-workers or those that you're trying to reach for the gospel. And you're trying to preach the gospel to them. And you begin to wonder, why won't they accept Christ? Why won't they become followers of Jesus? Well, it's simple. They have an argument. Everybody is a little bit different, but the ones who won't accept, they have an argument. And they say, well, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus because I don't understand, you know, the Old Testament God killing people and the New Testament God full of love. And I just, it, I don't see it. I don't understand that. Or they say, well, I don't want to be a part of that church because I, I just think it's a spiritual crutch. Or, I, I just, I don't know what you get from it. Or I don't understand. And, and I don't want to have that a part of my life. You're just spiritually weak and you're just emotionally weak. And so I, I don't want that thing in my life. And they say, well, if God was all loving, then why are there's war? Why is, why is this happen? Or why is this thing in the world? And they begin to have arguments against it. Or maybe something that happened to them. Why was I abandoned as a child? Or why did my spouse do this? And they begin to have arguments against it. And it keeps them from experiencing the goodness of God. It's arguments and pretensions and things that are not true that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so oftentimes we see those things. And so when we go to war in the spiritual, it's to demolish the arguments and the pretensions. It's not a physical battle. You're not going to punch somebody in the face and bring them to Jesus. This is a chance to show them how the arguments and the pretensions have set themselves up against who God really is and the goodness of God. Because the devil knows that everything begins with a thought. And so he attacks us in our thought lives. Because if you study scripture, you know the devil doesn't have any power over your life. When Jesus won the victory at the cross, he won the victory at the cross. And so the devil doesn't have power over all the power he has is to deceive you into destroying your life. Only power he has is in deception and in these things that set themselves against the knowledge and the truth of God in your life, in my life. So we got to figure out this process of spiritual warfare so we can figure out how to identify these things. We can war against it in our own lives, in the lives of our families. I want to give you two very simple thoughts today out of this passage, as simple as I can make it today. The first one is you've got to begin to identify toxic thoughts. This is where we start. If, if if you're going to do warfare against the strongholds and you're going to go against these arguments and pretensions, you have to identify the toxic thoughts. You've got to begin to identify what is truth from God's word and what is trash from the enemy. You've got to begin to divide that line because every time he speaks, the enemy is, is whispering lies. Every time he speaks, he's trying to deceive. Romans 12 said this way, that don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way that you think. And then you'll learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
So notice how this verse says, it doesn't say, let God transform you by getting you into church more often. Let God transform you by making you give more, by serving more. No, it says, let God transform you by changing the way that you think. You want to start to see change in your life. You got to allow God to change those thoughts that you're thinking. The thoughts that we're entertaining, you need to identify the toxic thoughts. Now, a lot of people take this out of context. And watch this. They, they'll read it in a different translation. I want to show it to you. The New King James says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conformed, that's talking about from the outside in. Don't be allowed your outside to be changed, trying to change your inside. Now, a lot of people will take that out of context and they'll say, well, then you can't look anything like anybody else in the world. So you got to throw away all your makeup. Come on, somebody. You got you to get rid of all that stuff. And you got to, you know, if you own jeans with holes in them, you got to burn them because you're not getting into heaven with those, right? And God help you if you get a tattoo because you look like the devil, right? You smell like him. Do you ever heard people say things like that? That's what religion will tell you. That's what religion will try to tell you, that you've got to change everything on the outside to try to... That's what this is talking about. It says don't be conformed. Don't try to think that this is an outward-in type of transformation. The outside doesn't matter as much as the inside. The outside doesn't matter so much as the inside, that that's where God is transforming. Transformation, that word in the Greek, is actually from the inside out. So he's saying this pattern of behavior, not what you wear, what you, it, none of that. It's saying this pattern of behavior, don't let that be conformed. Don't think you're going to change your life by trying to change your behavior first. It said, let God transform the way that you think. Let God transform you from the inside out. Let him do that transformation work inside of you. But religion will come to you and say, well, you just need to be good. You just need to do good and you just need to be good and you just need to act right and behave. You, ever, you just got to behave and then if you believe everything that we believe and get your theology exactly like ours, then we'll take a vote and we'll see if you belong. That's what they try to tell you. That's so opposite from what Jesus preached. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That God created everybody that some are home and some are still lost, but he loves them all. And so we're called to reach the lost. That we're called to be welcoming to those who are outside that somewhere on their spiritual journey, they find Christ. That we're allowed to preach that gospel. That we're allowed to show them that transformation comes from it. Because when you believe, then it changes your behavior. When you begin to have the transformation on the inside, then you begin to change your behavior. You begin to act like God wants you to. But if it starts with a transformation, you can jot it down this way if you're taking notes today. Here's the principle. You cannot do right until you think right. Come on, all you kids. Stay in school so you can talk like Pastor Ben. Come on, this is the way that we... You cannot do right until you think right. Allow God to transform your thoughts. And then you'll know the will of God for your life, which is perfect and right and good. Allow him to transform your thoughts. Don't think like the world. Don't be conformed to a pattern of thinking like the world does. Don't try to bring that into the kingdom of God because it doesn't work that way. But be transformed inside. So we've got to identify the toxic thoughts the devil is trying to bring. And so he's whispering in your ear constantly. So back to our text. Paul says, here's the process. Here's the process that we go through and what we do next. Once you've identified the trash, we demolish that stuff. And then we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, that word captive in the Greek is a very descriptive word that I think we've watered down as we come. Because in that time, captive meant when the rulers of the world at that time, the Romans, when they would capture a city, it didn't mean this passive capture, put them in a cage type thing. This was not capturing your dog after they get loose. Captive back then meant, especially for the people in Corinth, because you may not know, but Corinth was captured by the Romans 200 years before Paul is writing. And when the Romans captured the city of Corinth, they actually broke from their rules of what they would normally do in the city, the normal things that they would do, and they slaughtered every man in the city of Corinth. 
It was a gruesome word that Paul is using here. And even when the Romans weren't in that kill everybody type of mood, they would take the leaders of the city and they would strip them down, put chains on them and march them through the city and parade them and mock them as if they have no power anymore. And then at the end, they'd kill all the leaders. Come on, somebody. It's a good, good Sunday in church today, right? You got this. But we have to get that mindset that Paul is using a word here that is an aggressive and violent word. That we don't just mamby-pamby, well, I'll get to that thought later. No, we take it captive. We are aggressive against it. We take the thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Paul is saying aggressively and violently, we're going to take these lies that the devil is trying to introduce. We're not going to entertain them. We're not going to let them fester. We're not going to begin just to listen a little bit to it. No, we're going to take them captive. We're going to be aggressive against them. We're not going to entertain. We're going to take it captive, meaning we're going to, we're going to tie it up. We're going to march it through the city. We're going to mock it, strip it of its power. We're going to slaughter it in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're going, to, we're going to take those thoughts captive because that's what we're called to do in spiritual warfare. It's an aggressive thing. So once we identify what is trash, we have to walk this process. And there's a second point, and that is we have to replace those toxic thoughts with truth. So once you've identified what is trash from the enemy, you need to replace it with the truth of God's word. Now, some of you might be thinking, like, that's it? Like, that's all you're going to teach us today? Like, that seems awfully simple. Let me tell you, I believe this is one of the deepest things you can understand from God's word. I believe this is one of the deepest truths. And let me just clarify that a little bit, because you'll hear people a lot of times say, I need deep. Like, I just, just preach it to me deep, pastor. Like, I just got to have, have deep. And I got to, you heard people use this terminology, like, I just wasn't fed from that. I, I just got to be deep. And they'll go home from church, right, and say, well, that was just deep today. That was really deep. And they're, well, what do you talk about? I do not know, but it was deep. It really, it, it touched me deep. Like, it was just, it was, it was deep. Let me tell you something, church. Deep isn't hard to understand. Deep is hard to do. The message of the gospel of Christ is not complex. It's hard to live out. When we begin to get deep into the word of God, you want to go deep as a Christian, it's hard to live out. It's hard to discipline and to begin to do that in our own lives. Because we get undisciplined in this principle. We start to let these ideas and these thoughts run rabbit trails all over our mind. And we start to entertain them. And we start to entertain fantasies. And we start to let these things work into our minds. We got to take it captive. And so once we identify the trash, we have to walk this process of replacing it with a principle from God's word. And so I just want to, I want to just kind of show you how this works today. Because if there's anything that I can say, if there's anything as a pastor that I can give you today, it's this truth. That if you allow those thoughts to fester, you allow those thoughts to stay, it will destroy your life. If you allow these things that aren't the truth of God's word, you begin to believe them. Those thoughts will produce desires, they'll produce actions that will destroy your life. So we have to get those things out. It's why Paul says in Philippians, says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. He says, you got to get your thoughts right. A whole lot of us have our thoughts out of control. Coming out of a season like the summer, coming out of a season, maybe it's been a few years, we've let our thoughts run and they've gotten out of control. And you got to be faithful to the process of replacing what is trash with the truth of God's word. We got to identify the lies of the enemy. And we got to put them and we got to replace them with the promises found in God's word. I want to take the last couple of minutes and just show you how to do that. Because if you're like me, I promise you the devil will be coming maybe even right now or later this afternoon to try to whisper lies into your life. And maybe you'll walk through something and he'll try to come at that moment when you're weak or even when you're at your strength and he'll try to whisper lies into your mind. And the devil will come and he'll try to whisper that you're not good enough. 
Or that God could never use a person like you. That he'll use everybody else, but you've just gone too far. And he'll try to whisper those things in your mind. That what you're doing just isn't good enough for God. Except 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we can say, devil, I don't care what you're saying because my righteousness was filthy rags anyways. And so God came and saved me and because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. And thank God that Jesus took my place. That at the cross, he won the victory. And so I don't care what you say, devil, I'm going to live my life for God because nobody can be perfect this side of heaven, but I'm continuing on to follow Christ because he took my place and his blood wipes my slate clean. And the devil will say, well, you know, that's fine, but this, you know, you might want to watch over your back because I'm going to be coming for you and and you're going to have troubles in this life. But I remind you, Psalms 91 says it'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. That he'll watch over you and that even if disaster strikes, Romans 8, 28 says that he makes all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love God, he works all things. So devil, I don't care what you do to me because I know that my God is working all things according to his purpose. And this may seem like a setback, but I think it's a setup for what God wants to do in my life. And so devil, you have no control over me anymore. That everything that I walk through, God is using for his purpose. And I've already signed up for the kingdom of God. And so everything that I go, I just see it as being a good soldier for Christ. That that's what he has called me to. And the devil said, well, that's fine, but you're always going to be broke and you'll never, you'll never be successful because of all these things. But I remind you that it says in Psalms, read it with me, it says, and we know I was young and old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And you said, well, why? Because my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And God is my provision. So I don't care what the government does. I don't care what the stimulus does. I don't care what the economy or stock market does. God is my provision. I don't care what happens in the Middle East. I don't care what happens around the world in those. God is my provision. I'm not based on this economy. My provision comes from somewhere else. And God created this world. And if I don't have it, then I don't need it to do what God has called me to do. If I don't have it, then I don't need it to live out the calling that God has for my life. That everything he's called us to do, he will provide. That everything he has called us to make a change, he will provide. That God is our provision. And the devil said, well, well you won't be able to enjoy it because you're always going to be anxious and full of fear. I remind you, devil, that in Philippians chapter 4, it says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is set on the Lord. And Isaiah 59 says, when the devil comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. That God, you are my protection, you are my provision, that I don't have to worry about those things, and I don't have to do anything about it, because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. That God has called us to it and he'll be with us. And every promise God has for my life will come true because the promises of Christ are yes and amen. That the promises God has, that his promises are not in jeopardy. That God has called us to it. You receive that today because that's what God is saying about your life. Now, for the record, I just worked too hard for your level of participation this morning, but that is just fine, everybody. Go ahead and bow your heads with me today. Close your eyes. Father, we thank you that you are our provision. We thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our life, that when the enemy comes in with his lies, we take them captive and we replace them with truth from God's word. We thank you that you have spoken truth over us, Father. And we thank you that you are the God of our lives. No matter what the life tries to throw at us, we are yours. We believe in the truth of your word. Now, if you're here today and you've entertained those thoughts and you say, well, I've let my, my mind kind of wander and I've let those things get out of control, chances are you might be far from God today. And so I want to take just a moment before we end in prayer, and I want to give you an opportunity to make it right. 
I want to give you an opportunity to make things right. Because I don't know what you've heard about God. I don't know what you've heard about Jesus, but he loves you. I don't know what lies the enemy's tried to sow in you about how God wants to get even with you or how he's mad at you. I want you to know he wants a relationship with you. Jesus loves you. Yes, you. And so this morning, I just want to give you that opportunity to have that relationship. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. And we're going to pray it with you. But if you say, I want to make the relationship right. Then you have to say these words and believe them in your heart. So that's you today. I want you to know I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I just want to connect you with Jesus. So come on, church, let's pray it with him. If that's you today, say these words. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me for all my sins, for all my mistakes. I accept what you did on the cross. I believe that you rose to life and I want to live my life for you. Now say these words. I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name. Father, I just thank you for every person here and watching online. God, I thank you for the lives that you've called them to live. I thank you, Lord, that we can take captive the lies of the enemy, that we can war in the spirit and we can replace it with the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you this week, be our guide. Lead us to the truth of God's word. Father, I ask you to watch over every person, God, as we begin to live out this life for you. I thank you for the truth and the promises that you're still speaking over us. That we can accomplish everything you have called us to accomplish. That you are our source, you are our light, you are our strength. We thank you and we praise you. We'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, can you give God praise for what he's done?